Galatians 5. I'm going to be looking at uh, verses 13 through 26, uh, specifically camping in 16 through 26. So why don't we go ahead and stand and uh, we'll read verses 16 through 26 this morning. It says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so, Lord, as we see that there is a battle going on. As we see that there is a victory to be won. For such a time as this, you've brought us to Galatians 5, Lord. You know the struggles of our lives, the temptations before us. You know the war that's raging in each individual the battles that have been lost, the condemnation that is upon hearts, the guilt, the shame, the hopelessness, the despair that there would never be a conquering moment. But God. And so Lord, we pray that today you would equip us with the weaponry chiefly being the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would begin even today to train us in that weaponry and how to use the person, the helper, to wage a good war. Teach us today. Go beyond what a mere man could teach or preach, Lord. We just pray that today would be in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power that your word goes forth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys, go ahead and have a seat. How cool to hear a new song today being led by Katie that 
It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That was our text last week in chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, stand firmly, plant your feet firmly in the freedom, the liberty by which Christ has made you free. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And so don't be enslaved again with a yoke of bondage. This section of Galatians is really having a theme of the freedom that Christians have because of grace. And so we're slowing down our progress through Galatians just a little bit, believing that this section is for us for now. And with freedom being kind of a banner that Paul is waving in Galatians, we look midway through the chapter to a text we studied on Wednesday night in verse 13 that says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Right? So, Verse 1, for freedom Christ has set you free. And then verse 13, you have been called to freedom. Freedom. Gotta love it, right? Now, freedom can often turn to, to sin. Okay? Freedom can go two ways. People are afraid of freedom. And so they become legalistic and they put a whole bunch of rules upon you that you've got to follow so that that freedom doesn't lead to sin. And then the other swing of the pendulum would be, hey, we're free so we can do whatever we want. Rather than, hey, freedom actually leads us to something. It is for freedom, not freedom to sin, but freedom from sin. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So we've been called to liberty, brothers. So don't use liberty as an opportunity for your flesh. Don't let it be, you know, he's been preaching against legalism. We don't need the rules to put a nice safety belt on our freedom. And at the same time, the freedom is not given so that we could be licentious with it. And give it a chance for our lower nature to just come out and, and live in sin and practice sin. And so he gives us the, the positive that freedom is for. That it is for through love serving one another. So we don't, we don't need the rules, but freedom is also not for sinning. It has a purpose for love. For serving one another. For all of the law, verse 14 of our text, is fulfilled in one word. Even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We're reminded of what Jesus had to say about the chief commandment. The most important rule. And he says it boils down to this. Love. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. As you're loving the Lord your God, you're going to be loving your neighbor as yourself. These are the fulfillment of the law. So we don't need rules placed upon us, but rather we just need the Holy Spirit in us. And that will lead us to obedience. That will lead us to love. Love is obedience. Love the Lord your God and love 
your neighbor as yourself. It's all fulfilled in that golden rule, if you will, that Jesus set forth. So with that in mind, well, verse 15 goes on. It's important to say, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So Paul is going to go from this <clears throat> set of verses into the rest of the chapter, obviously, but it ties together. Paul will go on to look at the mindset and the lifestyle that leads to such love. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, and loving others as you would love yourself. He also looks at the mindset and the lifestyle that would lead to biting and devouring one another and utterly destroying one another. Apparently, the Galatians needed to hear this in their day and age as their flesh was rearing up and there was some conflict going on. And so Paul gives a timely message on victory and power in the Holy Spirit. The section in which Paul elaborates is a theme that is full of the Holy Spirit. In our section we read just this morning, seven times the name Holy Spirit or Spirit is used. Seven times in about ten verses. Spirit, 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 Holy Spirit. We see from Paul that the Holy Spirit is present in our life as our sanctifier who sets us apart from the evil world that he alone can oppose and subdue our flesh. He's the sanctifier and he is the enabler. Verse 18. The enabler who fulfills the law. The law from which we've been delivered. He's the sanctifier, the enabler, and if I may say it, the causer. Causing fruits of righteousness to grow in our lives, verses 22 and 23. And so the enjoyment of the freedom as a Christian depends upon the Holy Spirit. It is Christ who sets us free, but it is the continuing, directing, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that will keep our freedom from going from legalism to licentiousness, and will keep us in love. And so verse 16 starts off with one of two of our big points that we'll see. It's kind of an outline, really. Verse 16 begins, the fact of the Christian conflict. There is a battle that is raging. And verse 16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's the Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, not a force, an abstract force or something spiritual. But He is the Holy Spirit, the third person within the Godhead, equal in value and worth to the Father, to the Son. He is the Holy Spirit. He is a person... He has a purpose, he has emotions, he has a job, he has tasks, he can be grieved, he's personified, and so we do well to call him a he and not an it. 
We've got to guard against some kind of Star Wars, Luke Skywalker, Yoda, Force type stuff when referencing the Holy Spirit. He is the key to the victory. Jesus sets us free. The Holy Spirit continues us in that freedom. The Spirit, the person, He in a believer causes us to use our freedom without turning to legalism or license. And whenever you go through today, why don't you just underline the word Holy Spirit. And first of all, we see that we're to walk in the Holy Spirit. For what it's worth to you, the tense of this phrase is in the present active imperative. That means that right now, May 22nd, 2016, Prineville, Oregon, Crook County, in this sanctuary, in the seat that you're in, walk in the Holy Spirit. It is imperative that you are actively walking in the Holy Spirit. Walking. Walking. Step by step by step. Not to graduate into any other means of transportation. Hopscotch, leapfrog, every other day, when it's convenient. No, walk. Walk. How many steps is it going to take for you to stand up and walk out of this room today? 30 steps or something like that. Every 30 of them. Let them be with and in the Holy Spirit. Every step. And when that is the practice of you, Christian, you shall not fulfill the lusts of your flesh, the deep desire of your lower nature. What a promise. Are you looking for victory over that sin and that struggle? How will you ever have victory over it? It's not a list of 10 to 12 things to do. It's a lifestyle of a relationship with God. Walking in the Spirit. What a promise. You will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Let's look at Romans 8, verses 13 through 14. And this is almost like our secondary text today. I think we'll be coming back to it like three times today. Romans 8, 13. <clears throat> And 14. Today we're going to kind of have two options here, okay? And in my notes, I've got one red because it's the bad. And I've got one sky blue because it's the good. I don't know why those are good and bad, but danger versus, okay. All right. It says this, Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, flesh means your carnal nature, okay? If you live according to that, you will die. But if, on the positive, on the good, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God These are the sons of God. Now to hop back 
to verse 1 of Romans chapter 8, we see many of these contrasts, if you will. Or as Paul says in the next verse of Galatians, kind of a war that's going on. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Does that sound good? You not want to be condemned? But it's for those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Not step by step in the flesh, in your carnal nature, but step by step with the Spirit and in the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh. We've been studying that in, in Galatians 4, and Hagar, and Ishmael, and flesh, and death. The law couldn't do it. It was weak through the flesh. But God did it. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Your mind is always on carnal stuff. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Why are we going through so many verses in Romans chapter 8? Because it practically helps us see how we walk in the Spirit. Setting our mind on things. How do we walk in the Spirit? Well, what are you setting your mind on? Fleshly things or spiritual things? <clears throat> For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The carnal mind, Romans 8, 7, is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. So the key here of spiritual living is, has the Holy Spirit come inside you? Have you been born again? Have you been indwelt with the Holy Spirit? Have you been given a new nature and a new heart that is the key here being in the spirit and you are in the spirit if god dwells in you now if anyone does not have the spirit of christ he is not his and if christ is in you the body is dead because of sin but the spirit is life because of righteousness listen to this all are you catching all the spirits here in Romans 8, 19 times. You know, Galatians 5, we had 7. In Romans 8, 19 times. Spirit, 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 spirit. We're, we're having just some real boldness to the, to the understanding of the spirit here today. <clears throat> he goes on to say, verse 11 of Romans 8, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There's nothing here but a work of God happening. The same spirit who rose Jesus from the dead, now living in you, doing that same resurrection power work in you, in Prineville, here. That's incredible. What a work of God. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. And again, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. I hope you're beginning to see the flesh and carnality, the worldliness. Not a good way to go, as we're doing a whole kind of contrast thing. But spirit, life, power, man, the way to go. But if by the spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's that verse again, that Romans 8, 13. By the Spirit, putting to death deeds of the flesh, you will live. Deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Let's go back to our text in Galatians 5 and verse 17. It says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. The original language wasn't lust in the way that we think of it. We think of it as sexual desire. It's kind of the the American English version of what lust is but what it's speaking of here is a great conflict that's taking place between the spirit and the flesh a new american standard bible says that the the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are set against the flesh they are opposed to one another they are hostile towards one another they are in sharp opposition towards one another It's not a yin and a yang type thing of just, oh, whatever happens. No, there is a war going on and there will be a victor. The flesh and the Holy Spirit have an irreconcilable antagonism. So that you do not do the things that you wish. Many of you use the ESV version. I love it too. It says it's to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Have you ever been there? Why am I not doing the things that I want to do? And why am I doing the things that I don't want to do? The Apostle Paul had been there. And Galatians tells us that if you were to trust in the flesh for 30 seconds, you'll already be owned by it, living in it, thinking in it, planning accordingly to it, and it will be contrary to the Spirit of God. That's why we need to walk in the spirit and we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Because if there's that 30 second hopscotch where we rely on ourself, our own wisdom, what we think will feel good or be good or whatever, and we know it's contrary to the word of God, it's contrary to the gospel, it's contrary to the heart of God, it's contrary to the commands of God, then we've given opportunity 
for the flesh to win and to rule. And Paul knew that, as he said in Romans 7, 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. And then verse 18 of Romans 7 says, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to my inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. There is a battle that is going on there. Paul shows us that the flesh is contrary to the spirit, the spirit is contrary to the flesh, and he closes the chapter by saying, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Two contrary things there. The parallel between This little passage of Romans 7 and the Galatians 5 passage is too close to be accidental. They're nearly identical. It shows us the Christian conflict, which is bitter and fierce, unremitting. It's a battle and a conflict that a Christian by themselves cannot be victorious. Verse 18 tells us in Galatians 5, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So, Romans 7, we just read it. There is a battle going on. This guy's doing what he doesn't want to do and what he wants to do. He's not doing and all this, ah, wretched man that I am. Interesting thing, as you study Romans 7, I think it's 19 times that the word I is used. And no Holy Spirit. I, 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 you know. And then we have Romans 8. The great 8, a transition where we see the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit 19 times. Victory, no condemnation. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 19 of our text, now the works of the flesh are evident. 
which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. These works of the flesh that we can walk in. They are workmanship of our human nature. The backslidden Christian knows them well. It says they are evident. You walk into a murder scene, there's evidence. Splatter, hole in the drywall, you know, whatever. Handprint on the wall. You guys have seen enough law and order to know what a crime scene looks like. There's evidence. And the same thing is true when we are hopscotching in the spirit. Boom, there's this like just tremendous victory of the flesh right here. It is evident. Clearly seen, totally obvious. And now Paul goes through an ugly catalog of works of the flesh that are evident. And this is so relevant 2,000 years after it's been written. I mean, you don't need to add much. It's not exhaustive anyways, but I mean, almost every one of them works perfectly well for Prineville. And for us, mostly for you, but you know, put myself in there a little bit. Lindsay told me not to, but I was like, no, honey, I am a sinner. We should probably, okay, I'm kidding. Okay, this ugly catalog of the works of the flesh is broken into four realms. And the first of them is sex. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. The original text in the Greek omits adultery. But really, it is the sum of fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. As Jesus said, if we were to even lust after a woman in our heart, we've already committed adultery with her. And we're guilty of breaking the law. It's no coincidence that these four works of the flesh are listed in order. They are very similar to one another. Sexual immorality or fornication. I like one guy called it a junk drawer term. You know, because we are so wicked that we're like, well, I did this kind of sex, but it's not really like adultery, so I think I'm okay. But the language is fornication, which means anything outside of marriage. That holy bond, that holy bed that Hebrews speaks of that is honorable. In Greek, it's the word pornea. And it doesn't take a detective to show how relevant that is in our culture. Pornography, graphics of sex, images of sex, rampant in the church today. Works of the flesh that show that someone has been hopscotching their walk in the spirit. Falling, stumbling, struggling, and not walking in the Spirit. Moments of the epic battle going on where we let the flesh win and rule. Sex outside of marriage. Boyfriends and girlfriends. Men and women living together, not fooling anybody, fornicating. And... I was a youth pastor for eight and a half years in the church. And then when I moved to Prineville and became an adult minister or whatever, you know, I'm like, woohoo, we're going to get to do marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling, 
And these couples come in and 90% are living together and are currently sexually active with no plan whatsoever to repent of that fornication. In the church, maybe even you here today, pornography, sex with your boyfriend, sex with your girlfriend, rounding third base, it's all the same. The marriage bed is undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge, the authors of Hebrews tells us. Uncleanness, that means impurity and immorality and filth, lumped into the sexual category here. Lewdness. Think of that. Lewdness, an act of the flesh. I mean, here we are, Christians, we're here on Sunday, and then we hopscotch, and we just let that middle step be of the flesh, and it is lewd and crude and rude, impure, sensual comments. And in our culture, that's kind of more what we refer to lewdness to. It's those comments that are crude and sexual, unclean. That's not really what the original means. It speaks of debauchery and licentiousness, carnal, animalistic sensuality. Other places in the New Testament speaks of it as passions, or passions of the Gentiles. And as you come here on a Sunday morning, walking through the word of God with us, many of you come because you want God's will for your life. You're seeking God. He needs to do something here. I need direction. I I need to know how. And 1 Thessalonians 4 would say, hey, here is the will of God for your life. Your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. That every one of you know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And if any one of you rejects this, you don't reject man's preaching, but you reject God who in his grace has given us the Holy Spirit. So don't come here acting like you want to know God when you know what God is calling you towards and you want nothing of it. Sensuality, fornication, lewdness, let it not even be named among you. Because the will of God for you, Christian, is that you be sanctified in purity and holiness. That's a tall order. Maybe you don't got it, maybe I don't got it. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. The first realm was sexual. The second realm was religious. Verse 20 shows us that idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, These are all religious in natures. We've got idolatry. Worshipping any other God that's not God. Just as sexual immorality is having sex with anyone who's not your wife or husband, God likens idolatry to sexual immorality. And he calls idolatry spiritual harlotry. I don't think it's a coincidence that idolatry and adultery sound a lot alike. 
It's the same thing, spiritual versus physical. Idolatry can be the brazen worship of other gods that we see in in, uh, Nepal, but it can also be the subtle worship of things that you have made gods in your life. Good things that you've turned into God things and placed it above Jesus. In the joy that you get out of it, in the time that you spend doing it, in the money and the resources and the time that you put towards it, in your unwillingness to let go of it, idolatry, sorcery. Listen to the the Greek word for sorcery, pharmakia, pharmakia. Interesting, just to be at a school play the other day, and it was a cute little school play, kids singing and dancing, and Russell was a little frog, and it was so cute, but one of the group of kids came up and they sang about how the rainforest is a pharmacy. You know, nothing wrong with that. I mean, we need an Advil every now and then, right? But you know, it's, it's, it's interesting though how our culture is, it's okay to smoke the vine and things like that. That wasn't the lyric, but you just see how quickly we can go there. In fact, a simple good thing like a pharmacy can be something that turns into a God in our life. And how interesting when you speak with people who've been involved in drug activity and drug abuse, how it begins to take them into other realms and into other worlds that are very dark and demonic, associated very closely with witchcraft and sorcery and black magic. And how many friends that I've had, and perhaps you can attest to this, when getting into such practices have incredibly dark spiritual things happening in their life. Oppression, if they call themselves a Christian, and possession, if they're not. Things that last for the rest of their life. Flesh goes to sorcery, and flesh flesh goes to pharmakia. Hatred contentions, enmity, war, strife, quarreling with each other, jealousies with one another, furious with one another, having temper tantrums, being selfish and sowing discord, preaching false teaching. That is all the flesh. Verse 21, envies and murders and drunkenness, revelries and the like, showing us the third realm of of the flesh, which is that of drink, many commentators showed. That of drinking, drunkenness, revelries, carousings. And man, isn't that relevant to Prineville? And the people who call themselves Christians that are involved in drunken orgies, the language speaks of, I'm sorry to tell you, but your Facebook profile is a window into your life and into your soul. And when you just show blatant carousing, and you know know if you've gone to this church long, man, we don't believe that drinking a glass of wine or two glasses of wine or having two beers or one beer, that those are sinful things in and of themselves, that that is part of freedom that we have in Christ. 
unless the Holy Spirit's convicted you that that is no freedom for you. And there's a lot to get into in that. But we know for certain that drunkenness is a work of the flesh. And practicing drunkenness, not stumbling, not the occasional, but a practice of drunkenness is someone who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Drunken orgies, practicing that, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Sexual immorality, adultery, lewdness, hatred, contentions, jealousies, all of these things in the work of the flesh and the like. I like that little phrase that's just like, just in case you think you got out of it. <laughs> Anything that's like it, man, it's just almost like the law, you know, confining all under sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul says, you know what, I've told you beforehand and I'm telling you in the past and we've read it in the scripture beforehand in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, where Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived as we have a little attorney pop up on our shoulder and start defending why we were in that drunken orgy last night and how great it was. And don't you let anyone tell you that that's a bad thing to be doing. Think of the laughter that you had and the drama that you were a part of. I mean, it was great, wasn't it? You know, don't listen to that little defense attorney that you've got. Paul says, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. And the list goes on. Homosexuals. Sodomites. Thieves. What about covetous people? Who knows if I'm being covetous or not? Nobody but the Holy Spirit. Drunkards, revilers, extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. None of those who practice such things is the language. There will be stumbling, there will be bumbling. But for the Christian, there will be battling. There will be spirit-led mortification, killing, slaughtering, crucifying of the things that lead us into that. But those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And before you are overwhelmed with condemnation and despair right now, there's another verse that I just don't want you to miss. That's the immediate verse after this. And such were some of you. That was you. You were those things, but you were washed and you were sanctified. That means being set apart and you were justified. That means you've been declared innocent before God in the name of the Lord Jesus. And how did that happen? By the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit has done a work in your life of saving you, of justifying you, of sanctifying you. That was you. In your testimony, that is past tense. In that sanctification, we come to verse 22 of our text. That the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Verse 23, self-control. Against such there is no law. And I was praying this morning about how far to go and, and just, you know, Lord, just you tailor the message. 
And I think next week we're going to do the, the works of the Spirit in the Christian's life and the fruit of the Spirit. I also noticed I wasn't even halfway through my notes, so that's just a good thing to say, hey, it's, I think we're done here. But all that being said, we have established through Galatians that we are not saved by our own works of righteousness, by our own goodness, but we are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus that was poured out at the cross when he demonstrated his love for us, taking our sin upon himself, shedding his blood and atoning for our sins and paying our debt, purchasing us from slavery and bondage to sin. Such were some of us, the list of debauchery there. It was me and it was you. But we've been washed by the grace of God. We've been justified by the grace of God. We've been sanctified and we are being set apart from these things by the grace of God. By the grace of God, he has indwelt the Christian with the Holy Spirit. We have the presence of God living in us. The same God that rose Jesus from the dead inside me right now. Giving me power to live a victorious Christian life. Recognizing the battle using the armory of the Holy Spirit from Ephesians chapter 6 and living in victory by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God. We'll have the worship team come on up. And next week, we'll look at the fruits of the Spirit, the works of the Spirit that are equally evident and equally obvious you can set your things aside today. Just move to an attitude of prayer. We'll get into it next week, but our verse 24 said that those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is not the same as Galatians 2.20 that says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's something that's been done to us. But the language here in Galatians says, now that that's been done to us, we crucify our flesh as Christians. The Spirit of God gives us the power to crucify our flesh. And when the flesh begins to <clears throat> speak words into our heart of, don't you miss me? The good times that we used to have, the buzz, the rush, the friendships, the luxury. Those who are Christians, those who are in Christ, those who are walking in the Spirit, having been renewed by the Spirit, they don't even give a passing glance. But they aggressively and violently make sure that that man stays on the cross with its passions and with its desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. And as we come to the close of the message today, the question is asked, 
Have you been renewed by the Spirit? Have you been filled with the person and the work of the Holy Spirit to give you victory over those works of the flesh? And man, such a soul-searching passage this week, studying it, examining and asking the Lord to examine my life. Areas where the flesh wants to rule and reign. And perhaps the Holy Spirit has put his finger on areas of your life that are fleshly and obviously evidence of you're letting the flesh rule there. Two things. First of all, maybe you've never been born again. You've never been spirit-filled. You haven't been saved. And so no wonder the flesh is ruling and reigning. You are nothing but flesh. But God. Today, in this place, who is rich in mercy. Oh, that he would call you today. That you would sense his conviction of your sin and of his righteousness and of the judgment to come. And he would speak into your life his mercy and grace that he showed us at the cross when he died for sinners. And that you would receive his grace today that you would believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved and be renewed and receive today the indwelling Holy Spirit so that you can now, a new life, a new day, a new walk, a new way, that of the Spirit, everything will change. You will have victory. There will be no condemnation. You will have power to say no by the Spirit. I choose Christ. That adultery, that pornea, that drunkenness, that temper tantrum, that hatred, that idolatry, that wickedness, that act is contrary to the Spirit of God. And I say no. If that's you today and for the first time you want to receive the Holy Spirit, you want to be born again, you want to be saved, you want to be renewed, You want to be filled with the Spirit, to be forgiven of sins and empowered to live for Him. Not just for yourself, but as we saw with Nepal, so that the whole world may hear and know that our God saves from sin and death. Right now where you're at, will you just pray this prayer in your heart? It's not the prayer that saves you. Just where you're at, just respond to God. 
And you can use a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I came to Calvary Chapel today, maybe thinking that I was a pretty good person, that I had a lot to offer you, and that you should be pretty pleased with me. But I've seen today in this catalog of sins that I have fallen short of your good standards, that I have sinned, and that continuing in that will not inherit the kingdom of God. But Lord, today in Calvary Chapel, I have heard that God can wash me, can cleanse me, can call me innocent again, can move me away from those practices that don't please you and that hurt my family and hurt my friends and hurt my community and they're hurting my life and they're hurting my body and there's shame in it. And Lord, today I need washing. I need to be born again. I need to be saved. I receive today this good news of being washed. I receive today this good news of being filled with your Holy Spirit. So Lord, today fill me with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your free gift to me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Change my life and help me from this moment on to walk step by step in the Spirit. And for us as Christians, as we move towards worship and we move towards prayer and we move towards just letting the Lord just scan our hearts and see if there's any wicked way in us in this list of sins, as we let the Lord lead us now in the way of everlasting, during this time, just let's confess our sins to the Lord. And maybe you're here with someone that you can just lean over and just say, hey, can I just pray? Can you pray with me? And I just have some things that I just need to confess. Ways that I've sinned against you, ways that I've sinned against God. I need forgiveness. I need to have victory in this area in my life. And I need to realize that the battle is real and I've been giving ground to the enemy and I haven't been walking in the spirit. And man, I need to be led by the spirit. Will you pray for me? And maybe just you, and it's between you and the Lord today, and you would just confess your sins to the Lord. Confess ways that you've been letting the flesh have the victory. Let's just give place as we sing this last song to the Holy Spirit and what he would do today as we walk with him in the final minutes of this service.